Hello and welcome back to Cheap Seats Chatter, the Overtime Heroics MLB podcast. We have brought to you throughout the playoffs, throughout the World Series. I'm the host of the Friday episodes, Cole Rains. I've been busy with life. I had college fall ball. It's been it's been hectic, but uh, I will be back with you for the off season. And I've got a little bit of an idea for our off season Friday shows where we're going to be doing versus battles. Now I wrote the blog. Excuse me, I wrote the blog. A couple blogs, actually, the past few weeks. I did Ken Griffey versus Andrew Jones, and then I did Billy Wagner versus Trevor Hoffman. So if you want to get a feel for how those go, go check them out on Overtime Heroic, and go check out all the other baseball blogs as well. And that leads me into a baseball blog that happened today about something bigger in baseball. With me on my Friday episode is Alex Clark and Matthias. Matthias, you have been with me on the past uh, couple Friday episodes when we were recording. You have been a Mets guy. Steve Cohen is now your owner. How do you feel about it? It's safe to say it's a new era in Queens, and I could not be more excited about it. You know, after years of underwhelming performances and sort of weak offseason acquisitions and a big market team spending a little bit more like a small market team, it just, this is a huge change and I think Mets fans have all the reason to get excited. You know, Steve Cohen, he's got tons of money. He plans to spend. You know, it's it's going to be ex- an exciting time in Queens, and uh, I cannot wait to see what happens. Alex, do you have any thoughts on the uh- – Yeah, I do. Um, I think that this is going to be – I agree. This is going to be a new era for the New York Mets, and I'm excited for it just because I want to see – I, I've been kind. I'm not again. I've not been a huge fan of the Mets. I do like them a lot more than I like the New York Yankees, though. Um, but for the Mets, I've they've had some amazing teams in the last few years. But the last like last few years for them, it's almost where you just feel like you have to put the word "lol" in front of Mets because you just end up laughing at them. Something just always goes wrong for them. You never know what it is. You just know that it's going to be coming. Hopefully, by having this new owner, they'll be able to spend a little bit more like an actual big market team, like one befitting New York. I think I really hope that's going to change the narrative a little bit. I like seeing when there are more and more big competitive teams going out there. We've seen that you don't need to be a big market team to really succeed. I mean, take a look at the Rays. You know, took the Dodgers to Game Six in the World Series, and they're pretty small market overall with their budget. But it's just I want to see more of these competitive teams, and money does usually help at that. The one thing you got to be careful of, though, is that you're not just throwing money around aimlessly. The money still has to be spent smartly, and I have a feeling it's going to work. New York's got the talent; they've got a lot of good people there. I think it's going to be fun to be a Mets fan coming soon. Absolutely, and with. This I don't want to call it a big offseason, but this market of free agents that is coming in, JT Realmuto, Trevor Bauer's a name, DJ LeMay, who's another big name. And I'm and we're just scratching the surface there. I have to assume that the Mets are gonna make a splash. I know they were in on the Mookie Betts whole ordeal when he was traded to LA. There was an end of the year deal. Boston didn't want to pay him, but and the Mets were kind of in on that free agency. If he did hit the market, he didn't Dodger signed him to a lifetime. Uh, lifetime contract, and wouldn't you know it, he wins the World Series on his first year of his deal. Uh, actually, it was brings me to where we're going uh, with this World Series. Um, I don't mean to change topics so abruptly, but Clayton Kershaw won his first World Series uh, this year, 2020. Congratulations to him. And, that's, and that brings us into our versus battle today, of which we have four of the last, or excuse me, the last four aces of the World Series teams 
all up and up against each other and we're going to rank them one through four and then we'll pitch our arguments we'll go over the statistics with all of you and then after that we'll let you guys vote comment do whatever you want on our twitter page at oth underscore cheap seats where you will uh comment who you think is one through four who do whose points you agreed with whose points you didn't agree with so the four we have is newly ringed clayton kershaw chris Dale, Max Scherzer, and Justin Verlander. And uh, I'm going to open up to the floor. Who do you guys want to talk about first? I mean, you, we just talked about the World Series champion, Clayton Kershaw. Now, I, I think that's a very good place to start at this point, considering that, again, yeah, he just got his first ring. So I think that's an apt place to start for right Well, now. Alex, I'll let you start. You have been doing the, the Western shows. And that brings me mm-hmm. – I don't mean to cut you off, but we're going to change up. We won't have the divisional shows now. It's going to be more of a hot stove trade market. Uh, during the week and then on Fridays and Saturdays we'll have these versus battles with the with the crew and we'll talk about different guys uh, but Alex speaking of divisions you have been doing the western division so I'm going to let you speak first to one of your baby boys Clayton Kershaw out there <laughs> uh, that's a very a very very interesting term to use there considering <laughs> those uh, those of you watching the uh, listen to the western podcast I had I had a few choice words to say about the Dodgers <laughs> And I wasn't always the biggest supporter of them. But one person I am a supporter of is Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw, as I take a look at him, as we see what he has done since he started his career in 2008. Remember that? He's been going now for 13 years. Clayton Kershaw has been an incredible pitcher for a good stretch of time. Like, you want to go from 2001 all the way through uh, 2011 through 2017. Arguably one of the best, if not the best pitcher in baseball. Throughout that throughout that stretch, right now he was an All Star every single one of those years. He was in the Cy Young candidacy all of those years, getting in the top three in all but one of those years, and winning the award three times, as well as being an MVP in the 2014 season. And when you take a look at his stats, how can he not? be an MVP, finishing the season with a 1.77 ERA and 21 wins. Absolutely incredible in that. But it was also been in the MVP discussion of that time all but one of those years, the 2016 season. When you're a pitcher and you have that kind of dominance and a stretch of that time of being that just outright nasty, what do you, like, I don't know how you really compare to it at that point. There were times where, like, you would go into, like, say, fantasy baseball drafts, and the the first two picks were always unanimous. It was always Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw. There was no debate after that point, and during those years, Clayton Kershaw was the guy. He was the pitcher. If you had him on a fantasy team, he you already had one of the best pitching staffs, and right now for the Dodgers, he's one of the main reasons why we have been following them as well as we have for all these years and then they finally started to build around him yes he's starting to get a little older now the velocity is not there as much but his stuff is still incredible we watched him in the in this postseason and there's always been the narrative that you know he can't get it done the postseason i think he shut up the haters on that one pretty quickly this time i you know um i i agree um he he obviously is a dominant regular season pitcher, uh, one of the most dominant of all time. But what 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 I find the hold up on, and you ta- you spoke to it. He obviously had a good postseason this year, uh, a two point three one ERA in the World Series. Struggled a little bit in the NLCS, but he kind of uh, came about his way. He's thirteen and twelve in his ten years uh, in the postseason with a four point two ERA, just about uh, whip just over one. So. 
He's just been average in the postseason. That's where I find the, the little gripes with him, and I, everyone else does as well. Um, but now you can't hold the ring over his head. He joins the other three pitchers we have spoke to uh, as well there. Exactly. And that's kind of the thing that I've had the problem with Kershaw as well, is that in the postseason, I just could, didn't know, could he get it done? And this season, he really proved that he – he had it. He had the ability. In other years, he was mis- he was a bit mismanaged. He had a lot of things he had to kind of work through in order to get to where he didn't have the support. This year, he had the support, and he dominated. He he made it. He made it almost look easy at times. And finally, he gets that ring, so then people can say, "All right, you know what? Maybe he can do it in the postseason." You hit, you hit the nail on that as well, talking about that in the regular season. For that stretch of 2011-2017, he has been, in some people's eyes, the greatest starting pitcher, one of the best starting pitchers of all time during that stretch. And so you take that and you just see, okay, he has the body of work, he has the stats, he now even has the ring to go above, to go into that little mantle place of his that has a bunch of all-star appearances, a few Cy Young Awards, even an MVP on on the mantle for him. He's just one of the best to ever play our game. I agree. Matthias, did we miss anything? Do you want to harp on uh, well, thing with Clayton? Well, if I would jump in here, it's that. So I remember watching Kershaw as a 20-year-old uh, back in his rookie year. And I remember my oldest brother was at Kershaw's second big league start. It was at Shea Stadium against the Mets. And I remember Luis Castillo, you know, the light-hitting second baseman, Luis Castillo hit a home run off of him. And I think the Mets knocked him out in the fourth inning. And I remember watching that and being like, so this is the guy that people are trying to get excited about. I was not impressed initially. You know, he had a pedestrian rookie year, but then he just kept getting better. I mean, he was, he's simply, when he retires, he may be the one of the greatest left-handed pitchers of all time. I mean, I, it's interesting because, I mean, I got to see him pitch in person in 2016. And, you know, a lot of people talk about his curveball. And you, I was sitting in the upper deck, and I could see how much his curveball moved from the upper deck. It's just amazing how great he's been. And also, I mean, my dad grew up a big Sandy Koufax fan. And he says that, Co- like, Koufax may be the only other person with that dominant of a pitch. I mean... It's just insane. And speaking to that 2016 season, that's the year where some injuries started to come up. And yeah, the injuries have been a little nagging in recent years. But 2016, if he did not get injured, he may have had one of the greatest seasons ever because he literally had a strikeout-to-walk ratio of 15.64. That is unheard of. I mean, I, I could probably talk about Kershaw all day. I mean, he's one of my favorite pitchers to go uh, watch, you know, go about his business. I mean, he, he's just been insane to watch and, you know, I'm sure he'll have his uh, plaque hanging in Cooperstown when he retires. I think that's about as obvious of a statement as we can have. Yeah. But I mean, how can he not? Um, what, if I could add one more thing to this conversation, one of my favorite stats in baseball is ERA. And I know it has a lot of problems, but it's a very generalized stat that covers a lot of bases, in my opinion. A lot of times, at least for me, the benchmark of being a really good pitcher is having at, like, about a three. Like, if you're having a three, you're you're having a pretty darn good season. 
if you're having in the twos, that's a really good season. Below a two, and that is outstanding. Like, you cannot get much better than that. And you talked about the 2016 shortened season for him with his injuries. That season and the 2014 season where he won the MVP, he's had two seasons so far in under his belt where he's finished under two. That's not even getting to under three, which, by the way, only two times in his career has he ever finished a season with an ERA of above three. One of those was the 2008 rookie season where it was 4.26. So, again, that's one's, that was def- definitely the outlier. But then in 2019, his ERA was 3.03, just barely missing that mark. But the fact that you have a 13-year career and 11 of those 13 years, he has had an ERA of under three. Just that alone, that number alone is out, is incredible. It's weird almost to look at. A career ERA of 2.43. There aren't pitchers in this day and age that really compare to that. I I absolutely agree. And and as a pitcher, my favorite stat to look at is, is how good you are at limiting base runners. Obviously, some are uh, unfortunate errors happen. Uh, pass balls happen. It's part of the game. It's human error game. We all know that. If you look at Kershaw, when he was in that dominant stretch of 2011 through 2017, he had one season of a whip over one, which means walks, hits, innings, pitch. He's allowing one base runner per inning on his part or less. Um, and that is, and that just goes to show how dominant he was in that seven, six to seven year stretch. Uh, it, it's he's certainly got a he's got his case. Uh, to be number one, in my opinion. But uh, the guy the guy that I'm going to bring up next is, a, is another one where he, he also has been very dominant over a very, very long stretch of time, and that's Justin Verlander. Mm. He, I, he was a guy, speaking to, to teams that you, you were talking about, how the Mets are your fandom. I was, I was a Tigers fan growing up. I remember the 2011 year when he won the Cy Young uh, World uh, – excuse me, the Cy Young and the MVP at 24 wins. He was – Obviously, wins, you take that as you want. Um, Kershaw has a more dominant ERA, more dominant walks, hits, innings pitched. But the one stat I, I like looking at as a, as a, as a fan, uh, it's a little bit of a, a niche stat. I, I, I reference it a lot in the versus articles. It is War 7, which is your, your war through the best seven years of your career. And believe it or not, we were talking about those seven years of Kershaw. He was at a 49.7. Verlander was at 50. Uh, for his best seven. So I, it's certainly a discussion and I, I'm going to open up the floor on, on Verlander versus Kershaw for both of you. Cause I speaking with you guys before the show uh, with these four, it was clear that Kershaw and Verlander were vying for the number one spot and Scherzer and Sale were vying for the number three spot. But uh, I, I just want to start off with Kershaw versus Verlander looking at the stats even deeper now that it's pretty close. Like if you want to go first, I I've went first a couple of times. So if you want to have, if you want to go yeah, first, you're more than welcome. Yeah, to. yeah. So Verlander is another guy that you know. It's it's great that we're talking about these four guys because these are probably my four favorite pitchers, other than maybe Jacob Degrom to watch pitch. <laughs> um, you know, Verlander. I remember in his prime. I mean, he was always on TV. I mean, it felt like every national broadcast I would turn on, it would be Justin Verlander pitching. If not, it was Clayton Kershaw. You know, 
with Verlander, I remember, you know, he had the dominant stretch from, I'd say, 2009 to about 2012 were his best years, you know. Just, you know, you got that MVP, the Cy Young. Also worth noting, he threw, in that MVP season, not only did he win 24 games, he threw 251 innings. I'm pretty sure nobody else has reached that mark since, which, I mean, speaks also to his durability. I mean, outside of this year in which he got injured and, I guess, 2015, he's thrown around 200 innings almost every year. And I remember... Matthias, I don't mean to cut you off. In that 251 innings, he had 250 strikeouts. Now, obviously, that's... It's strikeouts. We talk about stats that are lost in the shuffle, but he's averaging about a strikeout an inning, which is pretty yeah for a right. And I, I'm one who values strikeouts a lot, actually. So, you know, he had a, you know, obviously that was his best year. But also, I remember 2014, he had a down year. He had an ERA of 4.5, and that was, you know, people were starting to wonder, you know, is Justin Verlander washed up now? And then, you know, he battled injuries next year. But I mean, he came back and from 2016 to 2020 he's been once again at the top of the league i mean another Cy Young award he could have easily won in 2016 heck he could have won 2018 also he's he's just been great and for the most part he's been very durable which is why you know he, he could challenge kershaw for that that number one spot i mean i totally agree with you mag like that's like, you take a look at Justin Verlander's body of work, and it almost kind of gets a little lost in the shuffle a little bit. Because with him, like, again, he's been around for so long. I mean, heck, right now, this guy has a 16-year career on his belt, and he's still competing for Cy Young Awards. I mean, heck, 2019, he won the Cy Young Award. I mean, you look at that, it's incredible. And one of the things I'm really happy you brought up is the innings pitched. We talk about pitchers being able to be workhorses, being able to go deep into ball games. Well, Verlander was the definition of that. You take a look at his career all the way. I'm ignoring his rookie season because he only played in two games. But you take a look of 2006 all the way down to 2019, and there are only a few specs in there where he does not go past 200 innings. Then you take a look at, of course, the magical 2011 season, 251 innings. And striking out 250 guys, that's just that's literally just barely under one strikeout per inning. For a guy that's that dominant, again, you I remember watching him and just thinking, how do you beat this guy? And then seeing, I remember reading an article years and years and years ago. And it was basically just a Justin Verlander hype article. But it was talking about that in the eighth inning, he threw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball after starting the game at the first inning. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, how do you do that? How does your elbow just not give out at that point? I'm pretty sure and he hit 102. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what he does. He's been that kind of pitcher. And then as he goes on, yeah, I remember there was a time where he was ever thought he was washed up. 2014, 2015 was good, but again, just wasn't it wasn't Verlander. Then he comes back 2016 and says, oh, wait, guys, remember, I'm, I'm, I'm still Justin Verlander. Like, I, that's still, still me. <laughs> and just absolutely continues to dominate. Then it goes over to Houston, and everyone's thinking, okay, you know, he's going to be there for a little bit. He's going to help solidify the rotation. But he's not going to be the workhorse. Guess what? He's the workhorse. 
and he is an absolute monster again. In those two years, the, after the 2017 season where he split between Detroit and Houston, 2018 and 2019, each of those seasons going over 200 innings, uh, finishing as an all-star, finishing within the top two for the Cy Young Award, where, again, 2019, he won it, and then even finishing in the MVP voting within the top 11 each time. Like, with Berlander, I remember one time, again, this was back when he was in that kind of washed-up era, that wa- little washed-up idea era. Again, he was obviously not washed up. But there was a game, because I'm Mariner Trash, obviously. Um, there was a game where it was Hisashi Iwakuma versus uh, Justin Verlander, and I had to get home and see it. I had to, because at this point, it was the new up-and-comer for Seattle versus the legend. Because that's what he was at that point. Justin Verlander, just name alone, puts the fear into hitters. Puts the fear into fans, even, with how good he is. You take a look at the stats. You look at the ERA being a career 333. It's still really, really good. But the innings pitch, the fact that he he is 12 innings away from 3,000 innings pitched. He's only 12 away. He's going to easily get that in 2021, assuming we have a baseball season. But over 3,000 strikeouts. I, I'm, I'm with you that I value the strikeout a lot. The strikeout, I think, is a big commodity in baseball. And to see this guy who's been a true master of that craft, he definitely is in the consideration for the number one spot. I, I, I agree uh, with both of your uh, emphases on strikeouts. For, for as a statistic alone, um, you want to talk about dominance. Uh, Kershaw, two seasons, first two seasons were the only seasons where he didn't have a winning record. Uh, Justin Verlander only had two seasons where he didn't have a winning record. One of them was his rookie season, Kershaw's first two seasons. So obviously there's some flukiness in there. They're still trying to, they're young and figuring it out. But after that, 17 and nine in second year. And I, I, he was always a workhorse on a team similar to Kershaw, similar to Scherzer, similar to Sale. We'll get to those guys. They are always workhorse workhorses. I, I'm glad you said that. Innings was a good uh, good uh, topic to bring up there. They're workhorses on a team that is always around the number one seed in baseball. And when you think of the Tigers' dominance, I know they didn't win any rings. But when you think of that run from about 09 to 14, 13, when they had Miggy and J.D., and Justin Upton was there for a little bit. Verlander was the steady hand uh, on the mound. You knew what you were going to get out of him. You knew you were going to get 30 quality starts, 200-plus innings, 200-plus strikeouts, an ERA about around three, um, a whip that's around one. Uh, I think it's tough, and and, and it, I don't like looking at the advanced statistics when it comes to this. I'm more of an eye test guy, and, I mean, we sp- you spoke to that a little bit with the Blake Snell uh, issue there, and we saw that a little bit too. But when you look, I mean, the war of uh, Berlander is obviously higher than Kershaw, but that's also due to uh, how many years he's played. And I brought up four seven; he had a higher prime, just about uh, a little bit. Uh, the accolades are pretty similar, so I I'm going to open up here. Who's your guys' number one? And we'll let the fans vote on it uh, when we tweet this link out. <laughs> For my number one, I think I have to still, like, I still have to go with Kershaw. Kershaw, when I take a look at what he has done over his career, I get both of these are very, very, very close together. Do not get me wrong. Like, Verlander is going to go down as one of the best pitchers in baseball history for his body of work. 
for his utter dominance on the mound, I don't see how you can't at least put him up there as one of the greatest of all time when he finally decides to hang it up. Kershaw, though, I just I look at what he has done over his career. The biggest stat that jumps out to me is that 13 year ERA of 2.43. That number alone just screams, What am I looking at? And then again, you want you talked about the eye test for Verlander. You could bring that eye test in for Kershaw. I mean, we also had a story just a minute ago where people in the upper deck could see how much of a break Kershaw's curveball has, how insane that pitch really works with. And so you take that, you have the eye candy test, you have the stats test, you take a look at 2.43 ERA, 2,300 innings pitched, even strikeouts. I mean, we talk about this as well, but Kershaw was not a slouch when it comes to strikeouts either. Look at his 2015 season, 301 strikeouts. Three, we want to talk about strikeout artists. Kershaw is not normally a strikeout artist, but in 2015 says, okay, no one is touching my stuff. No one is touching this. And it's incredible just to watch what he's done. But during that stretch of time, 2011 to 2017, I know you brought up the War 7, which is, again, that's a very I, very, I respect that stat. But I think at that point, you take a look at pitchers that you do not want to face in any regard, I think you have to put Clayton Kershaw at the top of that list. He's got an amazing stat line, a really good strikeout-to-walk ratio career-wise. I like what he has, and then on top of it, the fact that he the biggest argument against him for the longest time was that he couldn't get done in the playoffs. Guess what? He's now got a ring. He now has that ring, and seeing his reaction when he finally got it, was just priceless watching that happen live. If you talk, tell me between Kershaw and Verlander, what I'd just be a happy general manager anyway, having either of those guys. But if I had to pick one, I have to go Kershaw. I and I absolutely, I, I, I think it is probably Kershaw. Kershaw solidified his role, his player, uh, excuse me, his status as one of the best, probably the best pitcher of that that class that we're, we're speaking to now of, of some of these guys that are kind of on the back end of their prime a little bit. Verlander, I don't know where he's at in his prime because I thought he was done and he goes to Houston and wins a ring, was a ALCS MVP. Um, but you you brought up the, the troubles in the postseason for Kershaw. Verlander had those struggles too. Um, in Detroit, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, but the, the San Francisco game was not fun. Yeah, so, no, I, I remember that game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, the, the St. Louis Cardinals games were not fun in 06 either. Um, his career RA is a 3.4 and he's 14 and 11. So he's very similar to Kershaw in that way. So if we, if we have to compare apples to apples, uh, the postseason stats are, are too similar. I thought they were a little better for Verlander because of what his time in Houston has done, but he, 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 he's still not as dominant as he was in the, in the, in the regular season, which is obviously a given, it's it's much harder to pitch in the postseason. But Kershaw, Verlander, you probably, I Kershaw is probably the right answer. Mac, what do you what you, you want to you add in or? Well, 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 yeah. Well, you mentioned postseason stats for a second. It's that you know, taking a look at Verlander's stats, his ALDS and ALCS numbers are pretty good. 
The problem is, in the World Series for his career, he's 0-6 with a 5.6 ADRA, which is pretty abysmal, if you ask me, for a guy of his caliber. I mean, he's really good. I remember 2012 and 2013, two years in a row, he throws complete game shutouts against the A's to send them home. You know, he's locked in. It's just, you know, you see him do that, and then you see him pitch in the World Series, and he kind of flops. And uh, the thing is, though, I'll give Verlander one other thing is that he has three no hitters in his career, which most people are lucky to even get one. And to do it three times, that's pretty darn impressive. However, I think Kershaw is the number one here. I mean, Alex sort of touched on it. I mean, a 2.43 career RA. I mean, I know a lot of people these days like FIP. He's a 2.75 career FIP, which is also very strong. And, you know, we talked a little bit about his strikeouts. You know, here's the thing is that he's not really a fireballer. He was never really a flamethrower. I mean, Verlander was always able to get up into the high 90s. You know, he had 102 that one time. But Kershaw was a guy who maybe would top out about 95, 94, 95. But he was able to, like, make it work. I mean, he has a career strikeouts per nine of 9.7, which is, you know, w- well over, or a, bit, a bit over one strikeout per inning, which is very strong. And also, I'm not, I don't really like the win-loss stat, but he has a, almost a career 700 winning percentage, which is, I, I, I don't care how high or low you think of the, win lost that to win almost 70 percent of your games in the big leagues is insane so i mean kershaw it's also hard to believe you know he's been in the league for 13 years but he's only 32 which means he could have another heck he could have another eight years or so left in him depending on how his back holds up but it's it's been insane you know it's been so fun watching him pitch and I mean, I can't wait to keep seeing him pitch uh, in the future. Mac, I'm I'm so happy you brought up uh, the difference in, in stuff, I guess you could call it, from Verlander to Kershaw. Verlander was always a guy you mentioned that relied on his fastball, good fastball, uh, where it, I don't want to say it was like kind of like – I don't want to call it a giveaway pitch, but he could afford to throw it in the strike zone because he could rely on velocity. Where you see Kershaw, he's – He's kind of has he. There's an art of pitching, and and Kershaw is probably the Picasso of it because you mentioned the strikeouts per nine, but he like you said he doesn't have that high 90s fastball. He relies on his movement. He relies on the curveball to change his speeds, and uh, and I think that only adds to his argument to be that he is the better pitcher here. So I, <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about stuff between Kershaw and Verlander. I, I, before we move on, it is all agreed. We all agree. It goes Kershaw one, Verlander two, correct? That's what, yes. that's what I have. So Yes. So now, now this is where it gets a little more interesting. We were talking about the difference in stuff between Kershaw and Verlander. Well, now we have two pitchers where their stuff is arguably some of the best in MLB with Scherzer and Sale. And this is where I think three and four are a lot closer. I don't want to say a lot closer because the gap between Ber- Kershaw and Berlander were was pretty close, but I think the gap between Scherzer and Sale are even closer. I, you know what? I actually would have to disagree with you 
on that. Hmm. I think on this one, there's a very clear number three here. And I'll explain why. But I do think that, again, all four of these pitchers are incredible. Like, there's there's no denying that. Anyone that tries to deny that is straight up stupid. But for me, it is a very easy number three on this. And that is because you take a look at what Max Scherzer has done in his career. He has three Cy Young Award wins. So, like three Cy Young Award wins from the stretch of 2013 to 2019. He has been an all-star. He has been a Cy Young Award either winner or nominee within the top five. And then has also been in the MVP race as well. With Scherzer, with him, again, he has been one of the more interesting pitchers because, again, remember, you go back to the Detroit days and you had both Verlander and Scherzer on the same rotation. Between the two of them, now you take a look at their full careers at that point, that's five Cy Young Awards between those two pitchers. But for Scherzer right now, you see that just when he plays, it's different. When you watch him pitch, he just knows what's going on. We've talked about ERA a lot. And in this, I will say for him, his ERA is good, but definitely could be better. Career ERA, a 3.21. But that's also come from a few years when he was first getting started that it, things were not quite there. However, you take a look from 2013 all the way through 2019, only one time did he have an ERA of over three in the 2014 season, 3.15. 2020 season, I'm not dismissing it fully, but shortened, so a little bit different. Even then, still has a pretty solid ERA of 3.74. So for sure, you see what he has. He's got great strikeout numbers, is only 216 away from 3,000. I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to get that in total. Innings pitched twice, he has... He's never been the biggest workhorse, but he still is consistent. You take a look from 2009, the year after his rookie year, all the way through 2019, the lowest total that he has thrown in, in that uh, time span was 170 point, uh, 170 to third innings. That's, that's still a lot. I mean, you, you'll ask that from any other starter, and they give that to you, you're going to be happy with it. And when it's the kind of stuff, that Max Scherzer has. It's really incredible to see what he's done. He's continued to do it. The other thing is that over the course of his career, 11 complete games. Again, a complete game is going nine full innings. He has done it by going full, and as well on top of five shutouts. Scherzer has shown that when he pitches and when he is on the mound, hitters a lot of times just don't have a choice. They just don't know what to do. Again, also a career strikeout to a walk ratio of 4.31. Then even including in 2019, had the second best of his career out of 7.36. And then again, in 2018, striking out 300 people. The only other guy that we've talked about that has gone to that market as well is the guy that's number one in Clayton Kershaw. Right now, you look at what Scherzer has done, his body of work. And I will say, he definitely really reached that extra peak once he went to the Nationals. He was great with Detroit, don't get me wrong, especially in 2013. But you see what he's done, and he's just evolved into a more dominant pitch, into a true monster on the mound. 
when you see what he's done when he once going to the Nationals. Mac, he's uh, your division rival currently of the team you root for. Well, speak to us. Yes. Well, here's the thing is that, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm going to correct Alex for a second. Uh, Verlander also struck out 300 batters one year. Um, 2019, he struck out 300. But Oh, my bad. You're right. I apologize. You know, that stuff aside, um, you know, so I, I know you said that, like, Scherzer is the clear number three, but I think – for now, yes, Scherzer may be the number three because he's been in the league longer. And yes, he has three Cy Young awards, which he was also a bit of a late bloomer. I mean, he was he had good stuff. I remember watching him when he was with Arizona as a rookie. You know, he had solid stuff. And then, you know, he had some good, some decent years. And then 2013, at the age of 28, he just he took off. You know, he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball ever since. And even as a division rival. I mean, I love watching him go about his business. He's very intense. You know, he, he's got a unique – him and Sale both have unique pitching motions, which I, I respect. I mean, my, you know, I don't really play baseball that much anymore, but I, when I do, you know, play catch and stuff, I have a low arm slot myself, so I respect the way they do it. Um, the thing is that, you know, you look at Sale, and Sale's numbers – are also dominant. I mean, Sale, okay, he's only pitched 10 years, but he's a seven-time All-Star. His 3RA is 3.03, and his FIP is 2.90, and he's averaging 11.1 strikeouts per nine. I mean, he doesn't have a Cy Young Award, but he's always in the top five. I mean, it's interesting because I remember watching him when he first came up with the White Sox, I don't know. I was just like flipping through the channels and I saw the, a White Sox game on and Chris Sale was pitching and he was a reliever. I remember watching him first. Uh, the thought that my dad had was that he was like Randy Johnson, you know, a tall, lanky left-hander who had a bit of a low arm slot and could throw hard. I thought he was just going to make a career out of being a reliever, but ever since he's become a starter, he's been phenomenal. So, you know, for now, Scherzer probably has the upper hand, but, you know, give sale sometime I'd obviously he had Tommy John surgery but when he comes back I mean I wouldn't be surprised if sale ends up having a better career than Scherzer you know no accolades yet because he's just gotten unlucky there's just always been someone that's slightly better than him but I think give it some time and maybe this will become a lot closer and maybe sale even passes Scherzer so I can oh go for it oh sorry I didn't mean to I didn't mean to uh, squat on your point but you left out the one stat that uh, Chris Sale is a, a career leader in, actually, and that is strikeouts per base on balls. Um, at 5.36 over his career, which is the best all time. Uh, looking on baseball reference, I, I did not know that. Uh, his best year, he had 6.52 strikeouts per walks. Uh, coming up, he was always a, a little bit of an erratic pitcher. Uh, Average around four, three to four walks a game uh, first three years of his career. Uh, he's really nipped that in the butt. And that was always his his big knock. Like I, I I don't I don't remember him giving up many homers. The most home he's not he's yet to give up 30 homers in a season. He's I remember everyone was talking about the not uh, the the struggle to command, the struggle to to command the slow basketball. And and once he kind of honed that in a little bit, he was traded to Boston and, and they won a ring. And in that ring, he 
obviously postseason wise, he didn't have the the best uh, stuff against uh, the Yankees in the ALDS. That was his best outings, but he. It, I I think you're right. Scherzer is probably now, but w- what Max said I think is very true. If he can get back healthy, two years. I know he's on a. Him and Scherzer are kind of in the doghouse for teams right now. I don't know if the the Nationals or Red Sox are going to be seeing any postseason anytime soon, but I think Scherzer, if I had to say next five years, I'd probably take Scherzer over Sale. I agree with you. I think Sale over Scherzer. Sale over Scherzer, excuse me. Oh, interesting. I actually, I'll be on the opposite end of this then. I'll say that Scherzer is going to have the better career. And here's why. I am not disrespecting anything Sale has done. Chris Sale, one of the best overall. I watched him pitch, and it, it you brought the Randy Johnson as an aspect of him, and I could not agree more. That low arms, arm slot of his and how he just flamethrowers the ball in there, it's beautiful to watch. As well as that, he's pretty good breaking stuff, too. But when I take a look at the two of these, Sale versus Scherzer, Scherzer has the accolades right now. And he got a lot of those accolades before, like earlier in his career. Again, his first Cy Young award in the 2013 season, the next one going back to back in 2016 and 2017. And I, I can agree a little bit to the idea of just barely being edged out uh, on the Cy Young award winner. But at some point, like that's the whole kind of thing with the whole postseason discussion. At some point, you just got to get it done, right? And I'm not going to say that. That's really a, a even much of a knock on sale. What I think right now, because I think the two of them are are close. I think at the moment right now, I'm taking Scherzer. Do I think that sale can overpass Scherzer? Yeah. Do I think he will? I don't know. Because I like to see with Scherzer at, again, 13 seasons, he is, again, just as strong as he was back in 2013. I mean, right now, he is still competing for Cy Youngs. He is still in the MVP race. He is still Max Scherzer. He is still pitching at this dominant level. And how long will he continue to do it for? I don't know. But one one thing I want to see is kind of funny. I brought up earlier about Scherzer being a... Okay, we talked about him being a late bloomer. I talked about him blooming as a Washington National. You, talk, look, you take a look at his stats, his career ERA as a Detroit Tiger... 3.52. Career ERA as a Washington National, 2.80. Again, we've already hit the hammer on the head, but as long as he keeps with the Nationals, he's really found a home in D.C. And I think that he's just going to continue for a bit more. He is starting to get a little bit up there in age. I mean, right now, heck, I'm trying to find his exact... He's 36 years old. So he is going to start to decline a little bit. But I also see that, you know what? If he's throwing that well at 2019, even 2020 wasn't even a horrible year for him. I think he could very well do extremely well for at least one or two more years. And then you have Sale, who still has a lot of time left on his clock, too. Right now, he's only 31. I think there is a good chance that Sale could overtake him. But I think that overall, right now, I think Scherzer is the better bet, and I'm, I don't want to put anything too far in the future for sale because, again, something could happen. You have Tommy John. Because, again, some pitchers, when they, once they have Tommy John, they don't come back the same. I, no, I, I, I agree that sale, sale has never been one that's been, I, I don't want to say durable, but he's always had nagging injuries. 
the whole how he wanted out of the White Sox and cutting the uniform thing was weird. I'm not going to hold that against him, though. We're just talking about on-field play. Hmm. I, you look at complete games. You brought up Scherzer. I Scherzer obviously he had 11 of them with five shutouts. Sales got 16 with three shutouts. Um, I'm not obviously complete games are are, are a rarity and. and in general, but when you when you have sixteen of them, I mean, he's averaging about one at one to two in, in a year. Um, so you know, for two of those thirty starts, he's going to give you at least seven to nine, probably eight nine innings solid. And ZRA Quest is better than Scherzer's, or excuse me, uh, just above Scherzer's, but his FIP is lower than Scherzer's, which is very interesting. I it, it's you you think the gap is a little farther. I can see why uh, Kershaw and Brandlander have been very dominant for a long time, but I think Scherzer and Sale have had uh, relatively similar careers in the fact that when Scherzer blossomed at the age, what was it, 28, when he was with the Tigers, when he won 21 games, uh, I think that's how Sale blossomed at 23. Because after his age 23 season, he was all-star in the side. Uh, he's never finished outside of this uh, top six in Cy Young uh, for the past Five years uh, from 2014 on, he's been in the top five of Cy Young in the, MV, in the top 20 of MVP race. So I I think it's closer. I think Scherzer – I think Sale has more likelihood than to overtake Scherzer than uh, Verlander has likelihood of Kershaw. Obviously, that's an, uh, an easy statement to say as Verlander's near the end of his career, I think. But um, with injuries, you never know. But I, I truly believe that Sale – Sale is probably number three for me, uh, just for what I've seen in a, in, a, in a short stretch of time. Scherzer, his ERAs, I think his career ERA is higher. Uh, strikeouts are pretty similar from where they're at in their career. I'm going to take, I'm going to take Sale at three. Well, I'm, I just want to jump in here and also mention that, you know, Sale. I think he's he's his career. I think has been underrated, and I think. Part of that may be because you look at the teams that Scherzer and Sale have played for in their careers. Scherzer was on some great Detroit teams, and then he goes to Washington, and he wins a World Series in 2019. I mean, he hasn't really been on a losing team much. I guess if you go back to his Arizona days, like, yeah, they weren't that good. But for the most part, he's been on a lot of successful teams, and teams that, you know, get the national spotlight a lot. And then you look at Sale, who was on some pretty mediocre to just, you know, straight-up subpar uh, White Sox teams. And, you know, you probably didn't see him as much, you know, getting the national spotlight because his team wasn't that good. But then, you know, when he finally goes to Boston, he's in the playoffs twice. He gets a World Series. You know, he records the last out of the World Series, you know. Remember, he did have a couple of postseason relief appearances, you know, in the ALDS against the Yankees. He pitched the eighth inning of game four, and then he pitched the ninth inning of game five of the of the World Series to close it out. I mean, he has just as good of a resume, I think, up until up to this point in his career, minus the accolades. But I think for right now, like I said earlier, Scherzer for right now is the number three, in my opinion. But if in five years, you know, say, you know, Sale comes back, recovers, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying this will happen, but 
I think that give it a few more years and Sale will be in front of Scherzer, I think. I I have uh, I I I agree. I think Sale has been vastly underrated because of the teams he has played for. I have I have two more names I just want to throw out, and and maybe this will be uh, future discussions. Uh, I'll ask you guys on the tweet uh, on our account and ask listeners now to to let us know who you want to hear us debate on uh, next week's edition of Versus. But where would Bumgardner or or a Clu- Corey Kluber uh, fall in in this argument. Do you think they're they hold any uh, standing uh, with Sale, Scherzer, Kershaw, or I think the one that really comes to mind first between the two of them is Bumgardner, because but it's not even so much for his regular season stuff; it's for his postseason stuff. Bumgardner is one of the best postseason pitchers in my opinion. He has done a very, 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 very good job in the postseason. Bauer, I need. I want to see more from him. He has done a great job as well. He's he's a I he's said, an ace. Uh, Corey did, did you mean Kluber? Oh, Kluber. Oh, you said Kluber. Yes, I apologize. Yes. I no power. You're good. You're um, anyway, good. Anyway, so Kluber, Kluber as well. Another good pitcher. I still think that he robbed the Cyan for Felix Hernandez. Cough, cough. But <laughs> I think that Kluber again is a good pitcher. I think that he is. I personally think he's a little overhyped for what. It's like for what he is, I would not put him in the ranks of Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer, Sale. Um, of the two of what you said, Bumgarner is probably the one I would consider most. Uh, agreed. I think Bumgarner's postseason stats are far and away better. And I think he has an argument against Scherzer and Sale. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Mac. I just, I think he has an argument for that three, four spots just due to his postseason. Well, I, I was going to jump in and really depends on what stats you value more obviously Bumgarner's postseason numbers are legendary especially when you get into the world series ever since he's been a rookie ever since he was a rookie he has been fantastic in the world series i just i don't know how he does it he just takes his game to another level because obviously his regular season numbers are also great but i mean his postseason stats i've never seen someone perform the way he has on pitching wise or hitting wise and then kluber you know kluber actually his regular season numbers you know a bit of a shorter career i guess you know he's had some injuries but like um in terms of like accolades and that type of stuff he would have the upper hand but then again his postseason numbers are kind of pedestrian so you know, I think those two guys are very good. I'm not quite sure they would match up with the four that we've discussed today, but you know, maybe they they would have a chance at one of Scherzer and Sale. I I, I agree, and, and Bumgarner I think is probably the most interesting case here. Um, I can't think of any other names. I think Degrom is probably going to be in this list of names coming up shortly. Uh, I know. What about uh, Felix Hernandez, Alex? Do you think he holds any ground with uh, these these uh, caliber names? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what on this one. Yes, but not for his full body of work. When I take a look at Felix Hernandez, it really comes down to what he has done through the prime of his career, because he's done a lot of incredible things. Because again, when we brought this idea of how ace pitchers go up against each other, the first name I did think of was Felix. But when he was pitching, and again, very much like a Kershaw, for when he was on, he was on. 
And he's one of the biggest cases why I don't like to basically ever look at the win-loss record. Because win-loss records for him being on the Seattle Mariners in an era where they were very bad for the Mariners. He, had a, he still had a, uh, a record of 169-136. Like, still left with a winning record, but had an ERA a 3.42 career with Seattle. He did extremely, again, he had extraordinary stuff. His changeup was the thing of legends for Seattle. And then watching him as well, be, we talk about workhorses. From 2008 all the way up until 2015, he did not have one of those years where he pitched under 200 innings. He was a legend during that time. And like even to the point where uh, Seattle did two things for him. They had Happy Felix Day every time he was pitching, almost akin to WWE's um, Happy Rusev Day. But then on top of it, they also had the King's Court, where every time he pitched, there were two to three sections that were just devoted to him. And during this time as well, during that stretch of two, uh, 2009 all the way up until 2015, was a start was an All Star every year except for 2010. Ironically, the year he won the Cy Young, he was not an all-star. Regardless, it's weird. But he was a fantastic pitcher. Do I think that right now, you take a look at his career, does he match up well with with Scherzer and Sale? I'm going to say yes. But even to me, that's still a little bit of a hesitant yes. He's a very good pitcher. I do not think he's in the Hall of Fame as much as I would love him to go in the Hall of Fame. He's a very, very good pitcher. He's had some incredible years, including a 2014 season, where he had an ERA of 2.14. Like, that's really good. And a whip of under one in that season. I think that Felix definitely could be at least in the conversation. But even as a Mariner fan, I'm a little iffy. You know, it's it's kind of a a tale of two, two stories here between Felix and the other guy we brought up, Bumgarner, whereas... Uh, Baumgartner kind of made his. I mean, obviously, he was very an above average. I won't say a uh, uh, elite. I'll say a very above average uh, regular season pitcher. But when it came to uh, postseason, he's one of the best all time uh, elite. He he stamped that with uh, multiple uh, a World Series MVP in 2014, where he threw 21 innings of an ERA of 0.43 and a WHIP less than 0.5. Uh, so he was, uh, but uh, we never got to see Felix in in the postseason, if I'm not mistaken. So if I, if I could say if I could say something on that, one of the biggest problems I have with my Seattle Mariners is that they did waste Felix's career. They had a borderline generational talent on their team and could not find a way to get into the postseason, whether it be from bad trade decisions, bad management, bad coaching, any and all of the above. But not getting to see prime Felix Hernandez pitch in the postseason is one of the, in in the city of Seattle, is one of the greatest what-ifs. And that makes me feel really sad because it's right up there with uh, what if 2001 they were able to finish the job? What if 1995 they finished the job? No, I I, I just think that's, it's funny that we bring up Baumgartner, who's a guy that's very, notorious for postseason play. I wouldn't say notorious, but just known for his postseason play. And Felix is a guy who never really 
had a chance to to show off his. his he would have had a chance uh, this year if he had stayed. If he decided to not opt out of the season, I mean, understandably so, he opted out because of yes. again the virus. But he did sign with the Atlanta Braves at the beginning of the season, and uh, he then had to opt out. He opted out because of the virus. But had he not opted out, we we could have seen postseason Felix, and no, that well, would have made I, I just... me a very happy person. <laughs> I I just want to mention though that you know, yeah, Felix is his days in Seattle are done, but we got to remember that he is only thirty four, which means like he's been in the league since two thousand five. He came to the majors as a nineteen year old. He was, you know, he he's always been super talented, and you know his stuff. I mean, the few times he faced the Mets watching him, I mean, my oldest brother was at the game where uh, he had a grand slam off of Johan at Chase Stadium. I remember One of my watching favorite that. memories. <laughs> yeah, I remember watching that and losing my mind. Um, but pitching-wise, I mean, I feel, I feel bad for him that he never got to pitch in the postseason, really. Like, I, there were so many years where I thought the Mariners would be in the playoffs, and then they just wouldn't come through. So, you know, he... He never got a taste of it, but I'm glad that, you know, 2010, that the, the, the voters did recognize him despite his 13 and 12 record. You know, he, you know, for now, not quite up there with the four guys we were talking about, but say he does come back, you know, maybe he has a little bit of a Justin Verlander like resurgence. He could be in the consideration. Maybe he does get considered for Cooperstown. Right now, he's a bit short of it just because of his downfall the last few years. But, you know, I'm not giving up on him because he's, you know, he's still only 34. You know, I get that that is normally the age when players do start to decline a bit. But I feel like his career may not be over yet. And maybe we will see more, more good stuff out of King Felix. I wish I could have your optimism. I want, wish so badly I could have that optimism. My thing with it, and this is like something where I would almost ask to have like a full hour just to talk about this. But with Felix, I've watched his, again, being in sale, I've watched his career. I've watched almost every single one of his starts. And seeing what he has done, there's a very steady decline from 20, like from 2014. That is really the last time we saw elite Felix. We saw we saw a good bit of it in 2015, but the writing was starting to be on the wall. Because then 20, the ERA just keeps on dipping. Every single year after 2014, the ERA just kept rising. Until finally in 2019, he finished it with an ERA of 6.40. And at that point, watching him throw, it was it, it felt like a tragedy. Because he just looked bad. As much as it hurts me to say it, he looked bad. He did not look like Felix. And thankfully, I was at his very last start with Seattle. And that was one heck of a game. Still got the loss, if I remember correctly, because obviously. But with, it's like with it, I, I want him to make a resurgence. Do I think he will, though? No. What he needs to do, if, you're, if I can on this for just one moment. What he needs to do is he needs to realize he's not a fastball pitcher anymore. He's not even a sinker ball pitcher anymore. He needs to do what I, in my opinion, what uh, CC Sabathia 
did with the Yankees and realize once you don't have that flamethrower anymore, got to be a little more craftier. You got to put a lot more stock in your breaking balls. You got to put a lot more stock in everything else and then use the fastball occasionally. And that's something that people have been talking about for a couple of years now that he's needed to do and just hasn't done it. So I think for him, if he is going to research, that's what he needs to do. Do I think he's going to do it? Sadly not. Yeah, I, he's, a, he's a guy that could probably um, get you, especially in the age of openers and, and bullpen play and switching guys every time around the order. He's a guy that you could probably open and be effective with uh, if, he, if he recognizes that he can ch- offbeat first and build off of that. Um, his best years are behind him. You mentioned that. Uh, but and, and because of this, I mean, bring, to bring it back to the discussion, I, I, Mac, you said maybe he could find, sneak his way into that sales Scherzer category. I, I, I struggle to see it unless he has a couple, uh, a couple just prime playoff appearances. Where I mean, obviously we haven't seen him. Know what it will look like if I mean he's he's starting near the back end of his career now. I just I don't know if we're gonna see. Uh, Felix up up in the in the echelon of this this caliber with of Sale Scherzer, uh, Kershaw Verlander. And like I said, I re- I hope I'm wrong. I I wish for nothing more than to be fully wrong. I would love to see Felix with a resurgence, whether it be with the Braves or any other team, even if he comes back to the Mariners. Which again, I don't see that happening. But I would nothing would make me happier than to see a good King Felix again. A very, very good King Felix again. I, I, I agree. I mean, when he was dominant, there was no more nobody more uh, fun to watch out west, in my in my opinion. Obviously, guys like Kershaw, but Seattle always had when Cano and Cruz were there, he was a he's seen some very good Seattle teams. Seattle's always a fun team. I, I know Alex, that's your team. I don't want to. I don't want to stop any of their toes, but I mean, he was always kind of staple of those uh, uh, teams in Seattle that were always. I, I personally stayed up to lot to watch because they were a fun brand of West Coast baseball. They were. No, I agree with that. My thing is that there were a lot of also really bad teams in that time, and that's really where Felix was. Shall I say his like his? That was where he was really at his best. Like, if I can bring one story that kind of helps out a little bit. Uh, the day that King Felix threw his perfect game, do you remember how many runs of support he got? I think it was two. It was one. Okay. He got one run of support off of a double by Jesus Montero, if we're going to bring that name to this podcast. But it, it kind of epitomized a lot more of what Felix had to do back then, is that it, if he wanted to ever win, he basically had to throw shutouts. I mean, we take a look at him as well. If we want to talk about complete games... Look at his staff for complete games, 25 over the, his career with 11 shutouts. 25 complete games in a 15-year career, and all 25 of those came between the years of 2006, where he threw his first two, and then threw two more in 2015. Again, during this he time, also when he, was the, up, he was a workhorse. He, was also, he also has the last perfect game thrown. I mean... We, we don't know when the next one of those is going to be. I mean, yeah, because it's only, what, 23 in Major League history? 
So the fact that a perfect game, a perfect game is almost impossible nowadays with how, again, we're using a lot more analytics. We're using a lot more, as like we're losing a lot more uh, different strategies. And it's almost impossible at this point to actually throw a true to the blue perfect game. Uh, absolutely. And, and, I, it's 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 hard to it's hard to say that I think it, he he may never uh, reach that pinnacle again. Uh, I thought I thought he would be done much earlier than what he was. I mean, looking at his stats, he he held on for a little longer than what I thought. But uh, it's a shame that we never saw Prime Felix in the playoffs. To, to conclude on that, we're we're going on an hour here, and I wanted to ask you guys. Um, I don't mean to, to cut it off here, but I just wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts for next week's verses should be. We can ask the listeners as well, but I have three names, um, and I don't want to uh, I don't want to start the discussion quite yet. But what do we think about a Chipper Jones, Adrian Beltre, Derek Jeter uh, debate? Um, I like that. So my the thing with me is you say those three names, and there's one name that just jumps out way above the rest. Who is um, that? I'm, Chipper. I, yeah, it's Chipper. Um, yeah, it's chipper, but um, I, I see the arguments for uh, Jeter and for Beltre, but I mean, on that one for me at least, if we're gonna give a, I didn't want to say who it was because so that we have at least a little bit of enigma for the when, well, when this well, happens. I, 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 absolutely, no, I just, I mean, there has been, and I don't know what it is. There has been, and I, I guess I do know what it is, but there's been a Yankee bias forever. And the fact that people think that Jeter was ever a better player than Chipper, and we can save this for next week, I just find preposterous. Oh, no, I completely agree with you. I completely yeah. agree with you. Sorry, Luke. But yeah. um, I, I like Derek Jeter. I think he was a good player, and his final farewell tour was actually really nice, I thought. But... The, to say that he was the best shortstop of all time is a blasphemous statement. There are a bunch that were better than Derek Jeter. Yes, he worked hard. Yes, he did that. Yes, he was a very good shortstop. I would I would be happy to have the captain on my team. But I think that overall, I mean, Chipper, Chipper is on a whole little play. Like, it's kind of like comparing apples to oranges. It's There's just no comparison. Oh no, I, 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 I will save it for next week. But I, yeah. Could you imagine? Well, if, I, go ahead, Mac. Well, I, if I would interject one thing is that obviously, so Chipper and Beltre, you know, both played third base, but uh, Jeter played shortstop. You know, that's a bit of a different position, which is, in my opinion, I think makes it a little harder to compare those three. But that being said, I think, I, I think. Comparing those three on the next episode would be very enjoyable. I mean, those are players that have that made up a, a lot of my childhood. Uh, you know, watching them on TV. So yeah, I, I would I would love to talk about those three players. Chipper Whoa. Jones is the reason why I grew up. My second and why you to this day my second team is the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I, he was. Him and Andrew Jones were some of my favorites growing up as well. Um, I hated I hated watching them play against the Mets, but I understand yeah. your point. <laughs> my uh, my dad played um, for a triple. He played in those uh, the Brave system in the mid '90s. He was a left-handed closer, uh, and then he got hurt, unfortunately, and ended up uh, ended his career. But he was play, he played with both Chipper and uh, Andrew Jones, and he said those guys were just incredible locker room guys too. So that's that's something I like to hear when you when you consider. <laughs> Talking about some of the greats. I love doing that too, yeah. 
So, but uh, that ends, that concludes our versus show. Um, I believe our, our definitive rankings, I, I know we didn't want to come to a consensus. Mine was Kershaw, Verlander, Sale, Scherzer, Alex. Yeah, my rankings are Clayton Clay Kershaw, Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, Chris Sale. Um, I had Kershaw, Verlander, Scherzer, Sale. So I'll, we'll have a uh, we'll have the graphic up. We'll let you guys comment on our Twitter page once again at OTH Cheap Seats. Alex and Matthias, I want to thank you for coming on. It was an enjoyable discussion about some of the best arms of our generation. Thanks for having yeah, me. Thanks for, having, thanks for having yes. me on. All right, and you guys have a good weekend out there. Stay safe on Halloween. Once again, this is OTH Cheap Seats Chatter on Twitter. We are at OTH underscore cheap seats we'll be giving you baseball highlights our takes there our takes will be on this podcast going four days a week as we spoke to in the show but uh if you really like baseball you enjoy what we're giving you you should go check out our partners at dugout mugs that's dugoutmugs.com they make mugs out of the barrel of baseball bats it's a great gift for any baseball fan or let's be honest for yourself if you're a baseball fan so once again dugoutmugs.com <laughs>